It kicks off our new series. We're in a new series called Net Worth. We're going to talk, uh, we're going to do seven weeks on money and possessions. We did this, something similar to this about five years ago, and since then we haven't talked about money once. We're, uh, I'm told by newer people in our church that we're like the most non-talking about money church they've ever been to. And so if this is your first Sunday, it's going to feel like that's not true. But if you've been around for five years, you'll say that is True. Um, one of the goals we had in the last series that we did through this is that, um, and it's really a similar goal this week, is we want to talk so much about money that we start to take the awkward out of it. That it's one of those topics um, that, that feels very personal, it is, but it's also just an aspect of discipleship and walking with the Lord and what's it look like to, to flourish as people. And so we're going to take the next seven weeks and we're going to talk about money and possessions. We're not going to hit every aspect of what that looks like for sure. Um, certain weeks will be a little more nuanced than others. Some weeks will just be just a biblical principle without a ton of application. Some will be very heavy in application. And, and um, so, so I would just invite you as we go through this, um, to, to, try to try to adopt this mentality. This is something I want to grow in like every other aspect of my life before the Lord. That's it. Nothing grander or less than that. And so um, before we dive into Matthew chapter 6, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Precious Father, what a privilege it is to gather and to worship you. There is no grander gift. There's no finer thing that we are made for than to come into your house, to gather with your people, and to sing the praises of our King. God, I pray, as as Paul already prayed, we've gotten to worship you through song, and we've gotten to worship you in community and conversations, and I pray that we would now continue to worship you through the, the hearing and considering and marinating in your word. Your word speaks, and it speaks with clarity. It speaks with authority. It never misspeaks. It's always for our good and for your glory. What more could we want? And so I ask this morning as we look at Christ's words out of Matthew 6, that your word really would come and land on our, our heads and our hearts with this sort of weightiness of which it is worthy, the joy-increasing liberation in which it promises, and that that would then translate into our hands and our actions. Father, something we have prayed for I don't know, every Sunday that I can remember as a church that we need more than anything else, though, as we come to your word. No matter if we came in here as long-time Christians or people, they don't even know how they showed up here this morning. What we need more than anything else is that we would walk away from this gathered time together more impressed with King Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, would you lift him high that you might draw all of us after him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
I don't know where this phrase originated. I think it may have come from what was known as the four spiritual laws, this kind of ordering of steps of this is, this is how someone comes to faith. This is 20, 30 years ago. And it would often take form in a church, something like someone would kind of lay out like here is your need for salvation, that you have run from the Lord, you're far from him but he sent Christ to come and claim you and to bring you back, to cleanse you from your sin, repent and turn towards him and receive forgiveness. And then at some point, there was often this question that was asked, like, have you received the Lord? Have you received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Some point that question is asked. It's like an invitation to to say, yes, I want to believe that this is mine. So have you received the Lord? Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Jonathan Pennington in a book he wrote recently called Jesus, the Great Philosopher, he riffs off of that, that question, and he, and he poses this in his book. He says, have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and philosopher? Really great book, actually. And, and what Jonathan is doing in that book is saying Jesus is not only an altogether sufficient Savior, he is the wisest person that has ever lived. He never misspeaks. He never gets it wrong. He lays out, actually, this is how humans flourish best. And, he, and so, he, so Pennington in his book, he's trying to build this case that part of how Jesus came on the scene was to give us the, the, the best way of, of not just being, the, the only way of being saved, but also a way of flourishing. So let me riff off of Pennington's riff off of wherever this phrase came that I'm not quite sure. So not have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and philosopher, but have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and financial advisor? You should, if you haven't. Jesus in Matthew 6, he is going to give us what is arguably the best financial advice you will ever hear in your entire life. There's a lot of good advice out there. There's a lot of ridiculous advice out there. But Jesus is going to give you what is perhaps the best Financial advice you will ever, ever hear. To maximize your investments, to maximize your impact, to get the greatest return on what your money can do, to maximize your joy. Jesus isn't making market predictions in Matthew 6. He's not reading the charts and trying to figure out when's the market going to turn again? When's a good time to sell? And when's a great time to buy? What he says is proven and true and trustworthy. We don't know where things are going to be in a year with any degree of certainty. Even the smartest and brightest financial minds in this world do not know for sure. We sure don't know where they're at in 40 or 50. Jesus is going to say this is where they're at for eternity. Have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and financial advisor? Try to convince you to do it. We're going to look at three things today. You're about to hear the best money advice you'll ever hear, why Jesus cares so much about where your money goes, and what this looks like in real life. The best money advice you'll ever hear, why Jesus cares where your money goes, and what this can look like in real life. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, would you stand with me? Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. This is the Lord's perfect, flawless, life-giving, liberating, hopeful word. 
says Jesus speaking here. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Feel free to grab a seat. This is, um, I would suggest to you, a, a way of understanding a passage like this is to hear it as an abundant life text. Christ tells us that he came to give life and to give it to abundance. It's in the context of, Matthew 6 is in the context of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's chapters 5 through 7, these three chapters summary of Christ's instructions of what it looks like to flourish in our relationships, in our, our vocations, in our, our, our prayer life, the, the ability to forgive, the ability to, to, to pursue the Lord robustly, and here in this portion, how to live a, a life that, uh, wisely around money. And if Jesus wants us to flourish, he's got to talk about money. And he does so a lot. Upwards of, some people would argue that upwards of 15% of the words that are recorded of Christ are around money and possessions. It's often said it's more than heaven and hell combined. Why does Jesus talk so much about it? Because he knows how powerful it is. Money has power to change the world and corrupt our hearts simultaneously. It can transform or destroy. It's something we handle all the time. I don't even want to guess. I don't even want to make a, a, a guess of how many financial decisions we've already made by, you know, 11.30 on a Sunday morning. We're all the time engaged with decisions around money and possessions. It can steal our joy. It can be like fertilizer on our faith. And so Jesus, in these words, he's speaking very clearly. He's saying, do not do this, do this. But he's not doing it to cut us. He's doing it out of compassion. He's trying to, to help us. Now, I imagine there will be moments of conviction. I hope there are. I know there have been for me. There'll be moments of conviction throughout this series, but I want you to hear it all from, 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 the, from your Lord who's trying to help us flourish. Let me give you one more comment. So it's a, an abundant life text, which it's not a this is how you're saved text. And so before you accept the Lord as, or accept, before you accept Jesus as your Lord and your financial advisor, accept the Lord, accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. See, before we hear his good advice, we need to Remember the good news. We need to retell of the, the, the story of the one speaking here that, that, that God so loved that he gave. See, what we want to talk about before our generosity, anytime we think about generosity, we want to remember the generosity of God who gave of his son to the point of death, that rebels might be brought in, that we might be forgiven, that God looked down at a humanity running from him, doing all sorts of ridiculous things with their money and all sorts of other stuff. And he sent his son to be our righteousness and go to a cross and go to the tomb and rise three days later. See, God gave everything. I want, I want you to hear, if you can, if you can hear this sermon and hear this series through the lens of the one speaking gave everything to the point of even death. The Bible in another spot says, he who was rich, for your sake he became poor. He was the king of all creation. And he was born into a 
no-name family in a no-name town, that we in his poverty then might become rich, rich in forgiveness, rich in adoption, rich in righteousness. Before you accept Jesus as your Lord and financial advisor, receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. A couple things that might do for us is just disarm us a little bit. We have nothing to prove. In Christ, you have nothing to prove. He's done all of the proving. He's done all of the performing. You're not going to give your way into the kingdom of God. Part of how it disarms us is it helps us not be defensive. We can actually hear the words and allow the Spirit to, to, to help us to consider the condition of our hearts as we look at the condition of our finances, that we don't have to be defensive. Here's part of the reality. If you're in here and you're a Christian, here's how you got into this whole thing. You said, I can't do it myself. Someone has to do it for me. I'm a mess. I can't save myself. I can't obey myself. I need one to obey for me. It's what every fellow Christian in this room believes. So you have nothing to defend. You're already found. The gospel already says you're worse than you think. Amen? And you're more loved than you can imagine. And so like, just, just put down the defenses. In Christ, you're loved. In Christ, you're forgiven. In Christ, you're adopted. In Christ, you'll be glorified. Part of why it's helpful to hear that is the giving records of your average Christian are not that great. I'll talk about evangelicals according to one recent poll. And when I say evangelical, however you hear that word, this is how this study used that term. People who believe the authority of the Bible, people believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation, people that believe in a heaven and hell, people, people that believe what, what historically Christians have said, this is what we believe. So it's trying to do this, this segment of the population. See, and these are Christians who actually would say, yeah, we're, we're, we're Christians. We're Christians. Not that they're the only ones, but, but they actually believe this thing. Let me give you some stats on it. 19%, according to one recent study, of American evangelicals give no money whatsoever to churches or charities. Almost one in five. Among those with six-figure incomes, 10% gave nothing in the past 12 months. Those who did give with six-figure incomes or higher gave only 4% of their income to churches and charities. If you combine all the evangelicals that gave or didn't give, give over that $100,000 mark of, of income, six-figure income, it falls down not from 4%, but down to 3.2%. Something that's important when you hear these numbers is that percentage is actually really inflated by a few very large givers. The median figure. So the middle, this how many people above, this how many people below. I did graphic design, not math, but that's the median. Um, this is what they give, six-figure incomes or higher, 1%. What that means is that half of all evangelicals give less than 1% of their income to churches or charity. This was the line on, the, on this, this report that really got me. That's about the same as, as Americans who are not Christians. But God gave everything. There's a disconnect somewhere. And part of how we address that disconnect is not by becoming defensive. This, this series is not designed to produce guilt. We're going we're gonna to talk about like guilt-free enjoyment of your stuff. But we just want to pause for a second and say, it seems like there's a disconnect between Christ's words and the practices of many in the church. Another part that the gospel does for us is it can, it can disarm us so we're not defensive, but it also does this. It reminds us of what we have in Christ. 
Christ, through his work, through his death and resurrection, here's what he said. If you trust in me, there is a new creation coming where all the things that you're, you're, you're hoarding now because you're, you're, trying to get, you're trying to get everything now will one day be given to you in a perfect paradise that he's going to bring and he's going to provide. It's an abundant life text. Let me give it to you. Let me, let me say this. It's a paradigm-changing text. When I was originally designing the sermon series, the way I structured it was around um, seven of my favorite books that I've read over the years on money and possessions. And so the idea each week, it would be a different book title and then a key text. And I kind of summarize it in the hopes that some of it would just be like, here's a really good book that you should read or reread um, that I've just found really helpful. After reworking the series a number of times, I decided to move away from that direction. But the reality is some, some of those books are still going to be really loud in the background of these sermons. One book particularly is going to be very loud, as you're going to hear today. It's one of my favorite books on money and possessions. A small book, very quick to read, but it will change your life. It's a book by Randy Alcorn called The Treasure Principle. And in that book, what he does is draw out one key principle and then like six applications, six keys to unlock cheerful giving, but one primary principle, and he draws it right from this text, from Matthew chapter six. So what I want to do is, the best money advice ever is not Alcorn's, it's Christ. So what I want to do is read Jesus's words again, and then I want to give you the summary principle that, that Randy provides in his book, The Treasure Principle. This is what Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves on earth, or do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Alcorn taking those words. This is his principle. This is how he summarizes. This is the big point of the book, The Treasure Principle. He says it this way. He says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. So Jesus is saying, Don't, why, why are you amassing your fortunes here that is simply going to fade. It's always being threatened. Raw, you know, rust and moth and thieves and downturns in markets. And he says, no, no, no. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can store up in heaven this thing that's permanent. He gives an illustration early on in the book that, that makes this point. And, and he, he says, imagine yourself during the Civil War and you're a northerner who happens to find themselves down in the south. And the currency in the south at that time was Confederate currency. Because you're down there, you're amassing, you're accumulating Confederate currency. And he poses this, he says, what if you knew without a doubt that how the war was going to turn out and when it was going to end? He basically asked this question, like, let's say you know how this is going to turn out, and that your Confederate money would soon be absolutely worthless. What do you do? And he would say this. He says, well, if you're smart, you'll immediately cash in all your Confederate money for U.S. currency, for that which will have value once the war is completed. You'll only keep enough. You'll only keep enough money for your immediate needs. And the illustration, the way he draws it out, is like, if you're a Christian, you know how this ends. It's not that this world is bad, it's wonderful, it's just temporary. See, there's a new world coming. That's why he said, you're storing up in heaven because you know it lasts. It doesn't fade. It's not fleeting. It's not fragile. Storing up 
treasure in heaven. It's, it's, it's like converting the currency into kingdom cash, things that, that will have eternal significance and impact. I'll give you some more on this in a little bit, but for now, I just want you to hear as Randy Alcorn outlines this way. He says, this is, Jesus' words, this is the ultimate insider trading tip. Earth's currency will become worthless when Christ returns or when you die, whichever comes first. And either could happen at any moment. And I don't know, like, it's kind of like you kind of want to hug him. You kind of don't want to, but it's like, but it's, he's just being helpful. He's just saying like, that's the reality. Again, again, we're going to talk about enjoying things here. We're going to talk about, the Bible has is, is got so much to say on this topic and, and nuance is important. But for today, just get the principle. You cannot, Jesus is saying unequivocally, you cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. It's the best money advice you'll ever hear. Why does Jesus care so much? I'll give you a couple reasons. We'll start with this one. Um, Jesus wants actually what's best for us. That's embedded into this text. There's a word that's really easy to miss um, in, in this passage, or perhaps it's one that you might stumble over. It just feels out of place. It feels there's something about it that just on first read feels like it's, it's maybe wrong. It's this word yourselves. We see it in verse 20. Maybe in verse 19 it makes self when Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in the seal. It's like, yeah, I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to, this isn't about me. I want to be generous. But then look what he says in verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's how, that's, that felt like, as many times as I've read this text, it always feels like kind of a weird word. It feels like, wait, is this, is this for my good? Yes. It's for you, God. You're good. Randy Alcorn drawing this out, he says, if you stopped reading too soon, saying you stopped at 19, you didn't get to 20, you would have thought Christ was against storing up treasures for ourselves. No. He commands it. Jesus wants us to store up treasures. He's just telling us to stop storing them in the wrong place and to start storing them in the right place. Store up for yourselves. It doesn't, doesn't it seem... Strange that Jesus commands us to do what's in our best interests. Wouldn't that be selfish? No. God expects and commands us to act out of, and I love this phrase, enlightened self-interest. See, Jesus isn't just the best financial advisor. There's, there's a little term that we could apply to him. He's a fiduciary. So he's a fiduciary financial advisor. A fiduciary, that's a fancy word that means he is legally bound to counsel in his client's best interests. That's what Jesus is doing. And part of what we hear in a text like this is that God's glory and the, and the kingdom of heaven and your best interests are not at odds with one another. They're exactly overlapped. Jesus is saying there is no conflict between investing in kingdom causes and our best interests. Jesus is saying this isn't just right it's smart. Now, Alcorn, I'll say this, he, he has been criticized by some people in his book, The Treasure Principle, by talking about rewards for generosity. And his response is this, and I quote him here. He says, rewards are God's idea, not ours. And he's just pointing to this text among with another of other texts. And future rewards are not the only reason that we give and live generously. There can be so many different reasons, but this text, Jesus is motivating in part with enlightened self-interest. Let me give you a couple of other texts that, that 
begin to say the same thing of this idea of generosity and rewards. Matthew 10, 42. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Luke 14, 13 through 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What are the rewards? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. The Bible actually lays out a bunch of different images and ideas of different types of rewards. It talks about different amounts of cities. It talks about different types of homes. There's different types of crowns. Like I, I suggest to you, I think that probably the, the rewards that we're going to feast on in eternity is we're going to get to fellowship and commune with the people that were impacted by our generosity right now for ages. I think we'll see the difference that generosity made in eternity. I don't think there'll be this disconnect between them. But I don't need to know what the rewards are. I just need to trust the one that said it. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. This isn't just an abundant life text. This is also a FOMO text. FOMO? Anyone help me out? What was FOMO? Fear of missing out. Jesus is like, don't miss out. I got the best tip for you. I got, this is the kind of tips that like when you're, when you're, when you're juiced in like politically or in business that you hear about like an IPO is about to happen and you get this insider information and then you act on it and then you go to prison like Martha Stewart. But, 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 but you're not going to go to prison. <laughs> I mean, you might because you make other dumb choices, but <laughs> listen to Jesus and you won't. This is a FOMO text. Don't miss out. This is the next big thing. And it's guaranteed. And it's guaranteed. Jesus is saying this world, it's, it is fading fast. It's not bad. There's so much good here. And God wants us to enjoy cars that don't break down. And we can enjoy vacations and, and good meals. And we can enjoy nice yards. And this, this isn't like, be careful with this. We don't want to go to a a, a poverty theology here. But he is saying this is temporary. And so the wise money is to invest as much as you can in that which is permanent. Alcorn talks about this in, in, his, in the book, The Treasure Principle. He says it's, it's about choosing to live for the line, not the dot. The dot is this current world, 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years. Storing up treasure here is investing in things that, that won't show up in eternity, won't show up in the new heavens, new earth, won't show up in the new creation. He says, that's living for the dot. He says, but living for the line is this, this line that will go from the dot and it will never stop. He says, that, that, that's storing up treasure in heaven. Jesus actually says in another passage, he says that um, those who, who do this, that invest this way, that invest in kingdom causes that are converting their, their currency to, to kingdom cash, is they, they get a hundredfold return on their money. That's, that's a 10,000% increase. He doesn't want you to miss out. I love how Alcorn says it. He says, giving is a giant lever positioned on the fulcrum of this world, allowing us to move mountains in the next world. Because we give, eternity will be different for others, and for us. God uses the means of your generosity in order to, in part, bring about his kingdom, to do kingdom work right here, right now, that lasts forever. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Jesus wants what's, what's best for us, 
But more than anything, Jesus wants us. That's why he cares where our money goes. In, in verse 21, that first word is so important, for. See, all that Christ is saying ultimately culminates not in where you put your money, but where your heart goes because of where you've put your money. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus doesn't really want your money. He wants your heart. The truth of it, though, is that if he gets your heart, he's going to get your money and about everything else. But who better to entrust it to than the one who gave of himself? Now, our money often can go where our hearts are, the things we care about. But what Jesus is saying in this text is that money is going to determine the direction of your heart. I get to do, um, one of my favorite things I get to do is to write new giver notes to people in our church. This last week, I got to write three new uh, notes, little, just little tiny thank you cards. It's such a big deal when you choose to invest in a local community, and we want to take that really seriously. And so when, whenever we find, we don't always, it doesn't always get flagged, but whenever it, it does, and we try not to miss anybody, we always take time to write a little note. And I got to write one of my favorite ones this last week. I always like writing them, love it when anyone gives, but I got to write one for a 10-year-old. This little sweetie, little pumpkin, little princess, right? I mean, it's just, and I found out from her parents, I said, oh, I just, saw, I just saw her name, that's so cool. And they said, yeah, she wanted to start tithing on her allowance. And so she took her giving and she gave it to the church. And, and in each of the notes, I always end, I mean, I, I thank people, I, I try to help remind People, and I hope I'm reminding you, if you give, that, that what you're doing is directly connected to the mission and it helps things move forward and all these things. But the thing I always end with is I say more than anything else, here's what I'm praying, that God would fuel your worship of King Jesus as your heart follows your treasure. And I love that this 10-year-old gave because I am jealous for Jesus to have her heart. And Jesus is jealous to have our hearts. And that's why he says, it. he says, where you put your resources, it will direct your heart. It's the, it's the unavoidable reality of having skin in the game. When you start to really care about something, you invest time and energy and money and you, you, start, to, you start to care more, you invest more. Mariners made the playoffs this year. Amen. Three of you care? No, you care. A lot of you care. We care recently. It's okay. I'm total bandwagon. So, you know, it's like, but they hadn't made it in like 21 years. Imagine how it felt for someone who kept watching the games for 21 years to see them finally make the playoffs. I was like, it's great. My son and I, uh, my oldest son and I were doing a guys weekend last weekend. We were down in Seattle and he had a soccer game in the morning and then went down to Pike Place and grabbed some humbow and then went back to the hotel room and was like, hey, what do you want to do? It's like, well, you know, we should maybe watch the Mariners game. You know, they're in the playoffs against the Blue Jays. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. So we turned the game on and then because baseball is long, um, especially last night, if you watched, it was like six hour game, 18 innings. Um, but, we, you know, we turned the game on, it's long. And so we fell asleep and we fell asleep and I think the score there. They were down like it was like eight to one or something like that. But then we woke up and they, it was like nine to eight and the Mariners won. It was like, man, that was so cool. That was great. It was nothing compared to what it was like to watch a game with Pete Carlson though. Pete Carlson, our community life pastor. This guy is a diehard baseball fan. Phenomenal athlete, phenomenal baseball player. But we're down at Coalition last Tuesday, this past Tuesday and we're watching the Mariners play Houston. And Pete's sitting there, he's all geared out. He's got his hat, got everything. Did everyone that walked in, he's like, woo, go Ams. He just hold his hat up and flap it at him, flap it at him. The first pitch, 
The first pitch of a nine-inning game gets thrown. The first pitch, it's like a ball, and Pete's like, yes! I'm like, what happened? <laughs> Bro, he's going to throw it again. And again. And again. And he's like, oh, dude, you don't understand. It's, it's two and oh. And look at the second baseman. Look how he scratches. It's incredible. And I'm like, it's not, it's, it's okay, whatever. That guy is so invested. And so, like, it was fun for me to watch. But, man, Pete was really, really into it. The highs were so much better. The winds were so much better. When things don't go the way you want them to, when something's hurting, oh man, it's, it hits you deeper. Where your treasure is. Your heart's gonna, it's gonna direct you. Your heart is bound to it. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And wherever you send it, your heart is bound to follow. All right, what's this look like? I want to talk about um, just uh, maybe the principle or kind of the function of it and then give you some specific pictures of, of what this can look like in real life. What's it really look like to store up treasure in heaven? To store up means to, the, the language there is an investment term. You're putting it aside. It's like putting it into a savings account, putting it into investment, something like that. And then what are we supposed to store up? Christ says treasure. And what I want to address is something that might cause you to miss out on specifically what Jesus is saying. Because some people would define treasure as, well, that's, that's my gifts and my ability and my time. And I would say, yes, and it's your money and it's your possessions. And sometimes well-meaning Christians, we actually miss out on what Christ is saying because it's like, well, I give to the Lord. I give, I volunteer or I, I give to the Lord. I, I like, I use my abilities and and oh, wonderful. I don't want you to hear that as a criticism at all. But what Christ is talking about here is your money and your possessions. Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, he did a second edition. It came out in 2017. And the biggest change, he made a, a number of little tweaks, but the biggest change, he actually added an entirely new chapter to try to address some of the pushback as he unpacked his book from the first edition. And the chapter was this, was Jesus really talking about financial giving? And the short answer is yes, um, but let me try to, to defend that just a bit. We want to be accurate with the text um, so we just don't miss. It's like, I think about that meatloaf song. There's a meatloaf old artist. You know, don't you always, when you're reading the Bible, think of meatloaf songs? He's got a song. He's having a fight with his girlfriend. It's the middle of the night, and, and, and he just says, listen, baby. Something like that. I can just picture meatloaf doing it. It's like, he just goes, you know what? I want you. I need you but there ain't no way I'm ever going to love you. But don't be sad. Two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> That's not in my notes. I just thought of this on the fly. I just I feel good about this. Or maybe I should repent for it. But I want you, I need you, but ain't no way I'm ever going to love you. Two out of three ain't bad, but why not have three out of three? Like when you hear treasures, like why, why not... Put online all the things Christ wants online. It's all his anyway. He's talking about money. Let me give you a couple of texts. Matthew 19, 21. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, he's talking to what is known as the rich young ruler. Go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. He's not saying just go serve. Now we do that too. He's saying resource. Luke 12, 33 through 34, fear not, little flock, 
For it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sometimes that's just, that's the reminder of the gospel, right? Like you're his, you're his people. He's going to give you the kingdom. Don't worry about it. He's going to take care of it. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 1 Timothy 6, 18 through 19, this is written by a guy named Paul who wrote half the New Testament. He's one of the apostles, one of the early church leaders. It says this, as for the rich in this present age, which historically speaking, the majority of us are, I'm not putting that on anyone here, I'm just historically speaking, we would be included in that. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Who rich, and I, here, for all those that feel guilty, like if you're going out to a nice lunch after this, okay? This is your word. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So go enjoy. So go enjoy. And then he goes on. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. We hear it all. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Give you a summary of what do, what do we mean in principle to store up treasure in heaven? Craig Blomberg in his commentary on Matthew says it this way In this context, therefore, storing up treasures focuses particularly on the compassionate use of material resources to meet others' physical and spiritual needs in keeping with the priorities of God's kingdom. More simply, Randy Alcorn says it like this Storing up treasures in heaven means giving generously to kingdom causes, and receiving God's reward for doing so. And it's fun. Oh, it's fun. The best part of last week in prepping for this sermon is what I'm about to show you. Thinking through how your giving has been converted, taking the currency of this earth and transforming it into something that will go on forever, forever. Let's put the first slide up on the screen. That's Fletcher Lang. Uh, you may not be able to see it okay. He's standing in front of like a pipe organ, a little stained glass window on the side. Fletcher Lang is the lead pastor of City on a Hill. Um, it's a church in, in Somerville, kind of just right north of Harvard and MIT. And this is the, 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 the church uh, that it renamed from Redeemer Boston. So we sent out a church plant and a team years and years ago to go and establish a beachhead for the gospel in the greater Boston area in an area where so few people have access to the real Jesus. And so after a number of years, then Fletcher got called to come in. After about five years, he, he, it was handed off to him and now he's taken that church. He's continued to develop it. And it was such a joy. I sent him a, a message this last week. I said, hey, Fletcher, just what, like, what's going on? Can you give me an update on how the church is doing? He says, oh yeah, we go to the next slide. He said, oh, it's, it's still continuing to develop and grow and, and mature. And there's like 100 people that show up. There was only like five people when the thing started years and years ago. And people are coming and people are meeting Jesus and, and people are, are asking questions and, and engaging. And it's just like we, when, when I took over, I was like, there were so few kids. And now there's like 35 kids. And my kids now have friends that come every single week. And, and then he said, you know, the best part, you know, we baptized four people this year. Amen. That's amazing. That, and, and, and you got skin in the game. If you give, if you serve, if you... Now, oh, goodness, I don't I want to dismiss prayer and partnership and notes of encouragement. Oh, we want to bring it all. But if you give, you got skin in the game that you get to celebrate as long as this church goes. 
You get to celebrate what God does there and all the churches they plan. It's kind of like the world's most glorious pyramid scheme. <laughs> I'd like to talk to you after the service. I have a free pen for you. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I don't know. That's not my notes either. All right. But, but they're like, you're a part of this. 3,000 miles away. And, and the reward you might get is getting to feast in the new creation with the person that met Jesus. Oh, goodness, imagine that. And keep going. Let's go to the next slide. That's them doing some Q&A after service, walking through Genesis. Okay, stop here, stop here. So this is a, a picture of a newly forming church in Charlottesville, Virginia. So Claude Ocho and his wife, Kelsey, who helped plant the church in Boston and then handed it off to Fletcher and his family. And all the great saints that were part of that, they've moved to, to Charlottesville and they're, they're planting Church of the Resurrection right now. They're like trying to like, they're launching. They don't launch. I don't, it's like a baby being born. I don't know. It's, but they're starting their official services like right now. They're trying to find a place to, to meet in. There's like 40 to 50 or so adults and kids are saying, yes, we want to see the presence of Christ in this place. We want to see new people meet Jesus. We want the reality of the resurrection to be loud in this place. So that's what they're doing. We'll go to the next slide. And so they just go like, that was one space. This is another space. I told him this space looked cooler, so he should definitely choose this one. But all those saints, like you have skin in the game. Like this is converting your currency to kingdom cash for kingdom purposes, and it will go on forever. And it will go on forever. We got a last picture, I think, of the family. Yeah, that's the Acho family. He was 21 when he first began at this church, when he first became a part of this church. Oh, and you nurtured him. You, you, he raised his own support to, to come on staff. Like you gave to that. Like you, you, you get to connect and celebrate. That's what it means to store up treasure in heaven. That's what it looks like. And the reason I'm trying to do this is it's not this ethereal thing. It's flesh and blood and reality. Monday night, Jim Woods, came into a meeting. He, we knew he'd be like an hour and a half later or so um, because he had a really important event that he was part of. He was part of this graduation and he came in and, and it was like, it was like if, you, if you know the story, if you don't, it's okay, you'll get it. But it's like Moses coming down from Mount Sinai after talking to the Lord and his face is glowing. Jim Woods is just glowing. He comes into the basement. It was like, it was like illuminated. He's just smiling, excited. And we were talking about this series that's coming up on, on money. And he said something like this. He goes, man, the lighthouse mission is bleeding me dry. And I love it. He says, you want to see why? And he pulls out his phone and he shows us this picture. And it's like 16 image bears. And he had just come from a graduation. And some of the men, they went through a program called the Ascent Program. It takes one, maybe to two years to complete. And these are, these are guys that are being, being rehabbed and restored and loved and befriended. They get a place to sleep so they can just get a decent night's sleep so their brains can work right. I mean, imagine. They get food and they get spiritually nurtured and they get mentored and they get they, they're provided skills. And they get to graduate them so they can deploy them back out into the world. And then the, the ladies on here part of something called the Agape's Women's Recovery Program. It's like a two-year program, and it helps women move from being chronic, chronically homeless to be, being, uh, Jim's phrase was a, a reunification. They're not cast aside. They're not just stepped over. But they're loved, and they're, they're healed up, and, 
And then they get reunited, and not just with society, but often with their own children. Like that's converting this currency, this, this world that's temporary into something that's eternal. That's, 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 that's a picture of the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. You cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And wherever you send it, your heart is bound to follow. Rob and Stephanie Corley, we, we did a feature on them last year and the work they're doing with, in Cambodia through a project called the, the Lydia Project. Rob just got back from Cambodia this last week, and so I just hit him up. I said, hey, Rob, send me a couple pictures. Just, just give me, send me a couple new pictures. And so he sent me this one. We'll put this next picture up. So the, the ladies right here, the, the second one in from the left, that's Stephanie. But the rest of these ladies, they, they live in what's called the Melody House. So it was launched in 2020, and it was built in order that widows might have a, a place to live and a place to serve and a place to be loved. In, in Cambodia, amongst many places, um, these, these women, is they, they, they are widowed. They have kids to care for them. They don't have a social network to care for them. In a, in a culture of karma where you, you appear to get what you deserve, oftentimes you're, you're, you're just passed over. So the Melody House comes in and says, you no longer are going to live under a tarp. You're not going to live under a piece of cardboard. You're not going to live in a little exposed, corrugated shell. We're going to invite you into a place where you're going to learn to actually be loved. That's converting currency into things that last for eternity. And this next shot. This is a, a, a growing compound out in um, kind of rural Cambodia. It's got six different homes on it right now. It's called Grace Fields. And this is an initiative that was created to help young girls escape trafficking. Now, trafficking is an issue here in Whatcom County. It's an issue everywhere in this, it's an issue everywhere in this world. And so this project is built to try to help these young ladies be ransomed out of what is the most atrocious realities that exist in order they could be placed in, 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 they have like a, like a house mom. They have a place where they're protected, they're cared for, they're guarded, they're loved, they're, they're, they're told they matter, they're told they, they're not discarded, they're, they're, they're told there is a God who, who's pursuing them. They're finally seen as a, a, a human being and not as a commodity. I knew the next picture. We have that next one. Let's do that next. And this one, this is what got me. We can't show you a picture of, of the girls, but that's their sandals. And when I saw that, I just, girls from the age of 12 down to six. Like when Jesus says this, he's not, it's, he's not trying to manipulate us. He, he's trying to invite us to that which is life that lasts forever. To store up treasure in heaven. Oh, it's not ethereal, it's real. It's real and it's right now and it makes a difference and it matters. And when you do it, your heart will go after and you just want to do it more. And you know, these are some of the examples. Oh, it looks like a million different things that you all do. And that's, I hope through this series, that's what happens is that you feel commended and affirmed where you're doing it. That we all feel challenged and agitated in the right ways to want to do more. 
that we would embrace the words of Christ, that you, you cannot take it with you, but you can send it on ahead, and oh goodness, your heart is going to follow where you send it. Jesus doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. If he gets your heart, he's going to get your money and everything else. Who would you rather entrust your everything to? The one who gave everything for you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a, what a helpful text. In a world that's often consumed by money, damaged by it in our desires to get more of it. Thank you for speaking clearly, Christ. Thank you for respecting enough to not always just handle us gently, but to be truthful in this way. And might we hear it that way? Help us by the gospel not to deflect. Help us. I really pray, God, it's the, 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 uh, the evil one is going to want to create all sorts of nonsense with this just by the Spirit. By the Spirit, help us to apply what you want us to in the way you want us to. Help us to forget anything that's not of you. Help us find a place where we really truly can experience challenge and conviction, but no condemnation. For there is none of it left for those in Christ. We've already sung that your love, it never fails. We've already been reminded that you so loved the world that you gave your son. And that wasn't contingent on us learning to give. And it's not heightened by the amount that we do. Thank you for the truth of this text. Thank you for the reminder that we can live for that which lasts. Thank you for the joy that we can find in doing it. We also, we ask as we learn to give, we continue to ask that you would provide our daily bread. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.